Hello and welcome to episode 59 of Yagmoth Soap Opera, the classic-related podcast brought to you, the community. I'm Andy, and I'm joined by a regular co-host, uh, Josh, uh, Cronin and client, and Zach, who's also the Hoff or Abstract 66. We're going to have a look at the state of classic at the moment, what's happening around the format or not, as the case may be. Have a look at the thoughts around running an invitational-style tournament. Discuss what it takes to get back into classic. Have a look at some of the Planar Chase 2012 cards that might impact on the format. And also M13 has recently been spoiled and is going to be released very soon into the client. So we'll have a look at some of the cards there that might be shaking up the format. Um, so we'll maybe um, start by having a look at the, the dire, dire position that Classic is in at the moment and have a discussion around what we can do to try and uh, breathe some new life into the format. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of new life into the format, we have with us today uh, Mr. Andy, a.k.a. The Eternal Hammer, and Josh, uh, new host, a.k.a. Cronin from Magic Eternal. How are you guys both doing? Doing Yeah, well. pretty good, pretty good. And it's definitely good to be back on YSO as well. It's been a long time. My second podcast, so it's exciting. <laughs> well, it's cool to have uh, everybody back and you know be talking about classic again. I mean, like you said, we're going to talk a little bit now about the state of classic, and it's been kind of a, a snore fest slash you know sad lately. Uh, have you guys heard any of the movement that's going on? I mean, what what's basically you know the feeling on everybody? There seems to be a lot of apathy in the in the format at the moment. Um, I don't know people just seem to be waiting around for the Power 9 and just sort of moping around. Um, we had that um, huge foray of excitement around the format over the winter with the, the Wizards of the Coast putting up some really good prize funds for classic events, and they were firing like crazy, and uh, the momentum just seemed to get lost, and the formats just really petered out. There's not even that many game tournament practice rooms at the moment. Yeah, I've seen a few new people in the tournament practice room. I'm sure it's... Not all that fun for them to be in a format with no tournaments firing, having just entered the format. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can get some stuff going here. There's some new cards coming into the system, and Ravnica's coming back, so hopefully there's some good stuff there as well. I can't help but think that the old sets getting released was a way of drawing people in. Um, you know, there was the Med series, and then there was the release of all the old blocks, and... Uh you know, we've had masks now, and a lot of people were put off by by masks, the way it was released, the high price of some of the cards within the sets, the scarcity of some of the foils, and it being a kind of, sort of semi-end game, really, apart from, uh, obviously, the Power 9. And I think maybe people have just kind of got a little bit bored of it and moved on to other things. We should also mention that other formats at the moment are, are really vibrant and good fun to get into, and... Um, Maybe people exploring those. I don't know how much of this can be attributed to the, the modern effect as well, with a, a sort of semi-eternal format being uh, more readily available to the masses and a bit cheaper to enter. And certainly, there's been there's a lot of upcoming important tournaments related to modern right now, so people are liking that format. Yeah, I think the yeah. uh, the next MOCS, the Online Championship Series, is uh, Legacy, as a matter of fact. And the funny thing is. Legacy's really just like classic right now. It's not firing anything. I mean, if you guys look at the What's Happening page on Magic Online, the only formats you see besides sealed are standard, modern, sometimes popper and block. And um, yeah, 
It's a good point on legacy. I really don't understand why that format is struggling. It's such a huge format in paper, especially with the the Star City Games opens, and you just would expect more people to be playing the format and Steam people to find daily event is not a huge number when you look at the number of people that are rocking up on a monthly, weekly basis to play Paper Legacy. Um, I've heard people saying that it's expensive to get into both paper and digital, but some of the legacy digital decks are pretty cheap. It doesn't really make a huge amount of sense, but it doesn't really bode well for, for Classic because I think Legacy often acts as a springboard into the format once people have invested in the, in the staples to Legacy. It's not beyond the realms of possibility of just spending an extra 100 tickets, for example, to get some of the vintage stroke Classic-only cards and, and break into that format. So when Legacy struggles, I really do feel for, for Classic as well. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. It seems like, uh, you know, Star City obviously still supports Legacy really well, but it seems like as far as, as what WotC is really pushing, uh, a lot of their tournaments right now, Modern's really the most important format. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Wizards do this before, I guess. They push push events when it's um, desirable to them to help shift product, and they know that no matter what support they give to Legacy, it's not ultimately going to help too many new packs fly out the door. I guess we saw it with um, things like Kaleidoscope when they wanted to push Ravnica block. And I guess we're now seeing it with Modern. And I can't help thinking that a lot of the desire to push Modern is to drive up support for Shot Clans returning in uh, Return to Ravnica. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how much support Modern gets going forward. But it does seem to be a better replacement to, to the old extended format. Um, I just think it's a real shame that, that Wizards of the Coast ignores the eternal formats, in, well, the true eternal formats in, in Legacy, Classic, and Vintage. And after the, the winter, a Classic winter, they don't seem to be wanting to support those formats in, in Magic Online. Well, you know, I, I don't want to say that. Uh, like, honestly, I think that's short selling them a little bit. Because although the payout's really terrible, and it's M12 or whatever it is right now, they have totally committed to having regular daily events. That's not something we had in the past. Um, the sad part about that, of course, is none of us are entering those tournaments and none of them are firing. So it's almost like this gives them an easy out to say, see, we tried. But, you know, of course, you know, the classic community would argue, no, you didn't really try. I mean, you have M12 right after you had the amazing uh, winner of classic. Uh, but the, the other amazing thing on, on the way none of these formats are firing is a big deal in the paper world is they're having these Star City Games Invitationals with Legacy tournaments every every weekend or every other weekend. I mean, they're having a ton of them, and they're always being you know pretty heavily supported in the paper world. So I'm wondering where those guys are online if they don't own the cards, if they don't care about them, or or what you know. Exactly, and we with the Star City the Games right? coverage. Sorry, sorry, Josh. We know the card out there, so it's the most baffling part. Yeah. I mean, the Star City Games coverage is, is amazing. You get video fit footage that you can sit and watch, and you would think that enough would be drawing people into the format, getting more people interested. Um, it, it's slightly baffling. I think the danger is that as events don't fire, people don't even bother to sit in the queues. And yeah. so you end up with a, a dangerous spiraling effect where people just think, oh, well, that, that's never going to fire, so I'm not going to make myself available for that time slot. I'm not going to sort of sit in the queue and, and give it an opportunity to fire. I think there's been times in, in Classic's life where we've had 
four or five hardcore guys who would just hit the queues and just sit there, and if the numbers were to get up to 10 or 11, that would normally just be enough momentum to trigger the daily event firing, be it people throwing six tickets in as a donation, which I know the likes of Danger Linto used to do, or if it was just some random guy who happened to see only two more players were needed and he'd bring his, his pet test deck to the to the event or something like that um but i think if as soon as you start to lose that faith that the events are going to fire as soon as you start to to feel that 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 it's not worth your time to to make yourself available that that's when it really starts to unravel and that, that's what's happened now i think people have begin beginning to accept that legacy and classic don't fire so what's the point in owning the cards and what's the point in in turning up to these tournaments well I think you have a great point, and I think you probably have the best possible segue into our next segment here. And we have a point, or we're working to have a point for you guys to continue with Classic, and, and, and really, we're really excited to talk about this. Um, we're getting ready to announce, and by the time this is posted, I'm sure it, it'll probably be live, on uh, Classic Quarter that Magic Eternal and uh, Classic Quarter together are going to host a large... Um, Sort of in the vein of the Star City Games tournaments and also, you know, splicing in a little bit of MMOG's League, we want to have an Invitational-style uh, season. And uh, what we're looking to do is have a classic tournament. Of course, this is going to be classic legal sets and uh, all legalities, etc., etc. Um, we're going to have a tournament, and it's going to be six small tournaments. Each one will have, uh, of course, their own prize pool and um, the ability to qualify for the Invitational. Uh, we'll talk about how a little bit later. but And then we're going to have an invitational tournament, which is the end of the season, and only people who have, uh, I guess, qualified for this tournament will be able to attend. But this is going to have a big prize pool. At least we're hoping to make it a big prize pool. And, uh, again, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But uh, what do you guys think about this? We're getting ready to announce this. Uh, anything you want to add to it? Well, I think it's important to point out, uh, unlike Star City Games, the format of the individual tournament cells won't force you to set aside an entire day to, to playing in a tournament. These will be rounds that are, you know, something like week-long rounds, similar to the Classic League uh, previously. So people that are busy will have time to, to get into these events. Great point. I'm I'm really. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm really optimistic about this. I think it's a great idea. Some of the reasons why Classic has struggled. Some of the perhaps excuses that have been thrown out is that people that play classic tend to be older more mature guys who can afford to get into the format and tend to have family commitments so they argue that they can't sit down and play four or five hours to play tournaments and they also look at the prize structure and say ah it's not worth uh, the entry fee i think this style invitational um in some respects deals with both of those points it gives people the flexibility to play the games at a time when they're available and it also offers um what could potentially be a very huge out to the people that get through to that invitational and uh take home the top spots in that so i'm pretty excited i hope there's a lot of people that will be uh be happy to uh to pay up the entry fee to get into this and um Hopefully they'll see it as a good way of playing a lot of classic. Um, I think six tournaments is uh, is great value for money off that one entry fee, and hopefully that will be enough to drum up some interesting classic. Get people brewing some decks again. Hopefully we can get the the season one deck lists available, and um, that will hope to hopefully get people thinking about the format again and and playing it in an enjoyable manner. 
And, and really, Andy brings a great point. Um, it's not something we've talked about yet, but we're really leaning towards doing like a buy-in. Um, this is not something that I guess is uh, typically normal for a lot of uh, player-run events, but one thing that we want to do, uh, you know, Andy and Josh and I are, are all part of Clan Magic Eternal, and our clan's already, I've let everybody know, and it seems to have, you know, uh, a little bit of a groundswell of... Uh, I guess, agreement behind it or, or, or optimism if everyone in our clan donates 20 tickets to the tournament. And, uh, I mean, that's that's kind of our pledge to the community starting up. Um, we're also talking about having a general buy-in for everybody. And, and this is not something we've finalized at all. We're looking at the uh, code of conduct and if there's anything against it. And the uh, I just looked today on the frequently asked questions on the PRE um, thread and and it seems like it's not something that's typically frowned upon and, and one thing I really want to stress is we would be totally transparent with what we do with these tickets um, we were joking before the show that you know Josh Andy and myself are not going to get rich on everybody's 10 ticket donations we're going to be uh, right now the idea is to have every ticket accounted for for every person and what we're how, the way we're going to do that is one ticket per qualifying tournament which will be six total. And the remaining four from each participant will be placed in an end-of-the-year uh, end invitational pot. And uh, we're going to split the prizes up. Hopefully there will be donations. Uh, we'll get the pool bigger and bigger. And this will be kind of like a Vegas-style rolling jackpot, I guess, at the end of the year for this uh, the tournament. Um, whatever people feel like donating, we're, we're going to give right back to the community. Um, of course, playing Magic Eternal is not going to keep anything that is not um, won fairly and squarely in the tournament. So... You guys are interested. I definitely uh, uh, hope to hear from you. Uh, hope to hear a lot of people uh, entering the tournament. I mean, I, I kind of know how many people I can expect. You know, if, if they were into classic at the moment, I was looking at the numbers from the uh, the classic league that M Mog was running, and it seems like there's a pretty good amount of people. I mean, looking at like 40, 36. You know, the numbers in some of these seasons are pr pretty good. And if there's a more of a reason, hopefully we can compel everybody to get in and get a little piece. And it's nice that people are going to be able to uh, to get in at a later time into these running leagues, and and there'll still be a donation towards the the end prize pool. So that thing could just keep growing, and hopefully we'll have some pretty sweet prizes in that invitational pot. Yeah, I, I was thinking about you know on on the donation level, and, and this is uh, beyond the people you know any entry fees we decide or, or buy-ins or whatever it would be. Um, I was thinking, of course, anybody who donates can decide where they want their, their uh, donation to go. But the coolest thing, obviously, I think, is the invitational jackpot. Um, if you want to donate to one or the other, I mean, one thing that I'll say is we're definitely going to be promoting this on Pure in our podcast. We're going to be talking about it each week. Um, at least I plan to, I, if you guys are in agreement. Um, also... Um, we're going to be having you guys on the front page of wherever we're advertising this. You're going to get your uh, your company logo or your bot chain or whatever you want to donate with or your clan or however you want to donate. Uh, you're going to be accounted for for a solid year or however long this thing runs. I mean, we're not going to forget about you, and it's just, I guess, a great thing for the community. We, we really want to get some interest in Classic is the primary motivation for running a tournament like this. Yep, I think... Uh I think having an entry fee only makes sense for the tournament. Uh, we were talking before the show about different vintage tournaments. A lot of vintage players have player-run events in a similar vein, and of course they all do it through through an entry fee, and 
and they give away some pretty insane prizes. So I know we've got a similar committed community like the vintage scene does, and so hopefully we can get some pretty sweet stuff too. Definitely. It would, it would be good. It would be good. So fingers crossed, let's hope that this gains some momentum over the the next week and we can come back and firm up next week's cast. Definitely. So next up, we wanted to talk a little bit about somebody who, who came back and uh, he's been gone for a while. You got any idea who we're talking about here, Andy? Yeah, that would be me, eh? Yeah, yeah I left Classic. Um, I guess I was one of the people who... Um, just got a bit disillusioned with the format in sort of January, February time. It wasn't firing, and yeah, I guess I threw my rattle out of the pram and uh, sold out of Classic and uh, spent a lot of time um, playing Standard and playing Limited and just sort of mulling around, really. Uh, but over the last couple of weeks, the, the desire to get back into the format is, uh, is growing strong and uh, decided that if I was going to get back into Classic... I should do it before there's any hint of the Power 9 arriving, because if, if there ever was to be the case, then we're pretty sure that there'll be a spike in a lot of these cards. So, um, armed with a, a hefty I um, set about rebuying Classic over the last week, so um, looking forward to getting into the tournament practice room, slinging some Force of Wills, and hopefully entering, entering this Invitational. Um, it's been a fun journey, actually, going and rebuying a lot of cards, and thinking about what kind of cards I, I need for a collection and, and building it out from scratch. Um, in the past, I've had a pretty substantial foil collection, but this time we're just going for uh, for the regular cards. And it's been interesting to see the effect on uh, on the prices as well. Um, sadly, a lot of the um, the modern-specific cards have, have risen in value. Um, for example, Dark Confidant, Mindbreak Trap, Engineered Explosives, all of those kind of cards have really spiked because people are wanting them for modern. Uh, but interestingly, because of the, d the decline in, in legacy and classic, there's been a, a saving on the other side. So things like Force of Will is at the lowest point that it's been in a while. Um, Wastelands has kind of halved in value down to about 30 tickets. But there's some savings in places like um, Goblin Welder and Oath of Druid. So I guess all in all, I've probably ended up spending about what I spent originally to get into the format and uh, I think if you are interested in Classic though this could be a, a good opportunity to get in while, while Wastelands and Force of Wills and some of the bigger price Classic specific cards are, are struggling in price just because of the health of the format at the moment um, and so that's me I'm back in Classic and it feels good definitely those guys who are already invested in Modern because like we were talking about those Modern cards are the ones that are really the ones that you're, are hurting your pockets the most right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's those. It's the things like the dark confidence that used to be sixteen tickets for a playset, and now they're sixteen tickets for one. Gifts ungiven. Yeah, gifts ungiven. I think I ended up having to pay six or seven for a gifts ungiven as well, whereas previously that had been around about the one to two ticket mark. But as I say, all the cards combined, the, the explosion, have been offset by the, the decline in, in classic and legacy prices. So, been a bit of swings and roundabouts, really. Um, if I'd have had the foresight to have sold just the classic stuff and kept some of the modern stuff, I might have been in a in a better position. But um, hindsight's a great thing. Um, just got my classic cards and uh, yeah, ready to go. Um, decided just to focus on the, the decks and the playing styles that I like. So I've uh, not bothered picking up shops and dredge this time around. But maybe we'll add them in time as, if and when uh, funds uh, funds allow me to do so. Absolutely. 
Um, so, so uh, one car that did pick up, um, which takes us into the next segment, was um, was one of the cars from um, Plane Chase. Um, so I've been buying up cars which are true to my kind of style of playing Magic, the the blue, black, and white cards predominantly. Um, white really being sort of the plowshares, but never mind. Uh, so one card that caught my eye was the Bayfile Strix from, from Plane Chase. I don't know if you guys have seen this card. Yes. Yeah, Sure's interesting. Uh, I so guess we should see what happens. Yeah, yeah. So it's one one blue and one black, and it's a one-one flying creature. Um, doesn't seem that exciting, um, but then it's got death touch, and when it enters the battlefield, you get to draw a card. And I think if I'd have seen this card in a in a spoiler or in a checklist, I think I would have probably skimmed over it pretty quickly. Um, the only reason it came to my attention was because. Uh, it's been putting up a few numbers in in the vintage scene, um, where it's been played as a as a foil to some of the the mud based decks, where it can um, it can be cast under um, a lot of the sphere effects from uh, from shops, and it can also um, stand up well to the likes of a lodestone golem due to the death touch, um, replaces itself, and can do some pretty sick thing goblin elder play. Um, so I, I picked up a set of these when I was. Uh, was on my mad ra- rush, rush around to buy classic staples. Not sure if it's going to see playing classic, but um, it's definitely a card I'm going to try. It's also an artifact. True, true. Yeah, I guess. Like, I was talking to you about this before, and, and like I, I, I'm not saying it's a bad card. It's just the effect seems so underwhelming, just because of my perceived image of the classic metagame is a real decline in shops. Um, I know this is probably more a, a, an investment for the future of vintage, but like for me right now, and, and the reason I'm not real hot on this is, I don't think I would ever play this when I have like the ability to play something like Snapcaster Mage or something like that, um, just as a, a blue two drop that really replaces itself with considerably, you know, usually a better card. Um, I mean, it could be good in the in the years to come, but right now, I'm sure it's more likely that I'll be stuck in like a uh, uh, the ooze slash uh, fluster storm scenario where I have to pay a lot of money for a copy of these. Yeah, I had to pick up some fluster storms as well, and um, these cards that are in limited sets do uh, do become tricky and tricky over time to get. I mean, I guess there's always a chance that that baleful strix will. Uh, be reprinted in the standard set. Um, it doesn't seem overly broken for that format, but um, I just thought I'd pick them up whilst they were relatively cheap and available. Um, there was two. There's two of them in in the um, in the deck, and the deck only cost twenty bucks. So, I guess for the life of the deck being on sale, they're never going to rise hugely. Um, but yeah, nice card anyway. And um, I I don't know. I get a little bit aggravated by these. Um, these new cards that get released in these unique products. Um, I guess we've been there for supporting Classic. There was those of you who remember how um, Days and Gush first came into the system, um, and a lot of the uh, the restricted cards either through these dual decks or through these um, from the vault style products because uh, you end up just having to pay an awful lot more for them just because of their um, lack of availability within the client. But hey ho, um, I picked up four of them and um, we'll have some fun. And I guess just while we're looking at new cards which could impact the format, we should maybe have a quick look at what M13 may be bringing our way. Definitely. Uh, Josh, you want to take the first one here? 
Yeah, the first one I looked at, uh, it, I don't know that it's going to be a huge player, just because we've got so many tools to work with, but it's Smelt. Uh, it's one red and an instant, and it destroys target artifact. So I'm not sure if it's better than what we already have available, um, but it certainly is a, a good effect for one mana. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, it's uh, it's one mana, it's instant, and it kind of does the trick at the most affordable cost. I mean, unless there was something like this printed with a red Phyrexian mana, which would obviously just be busted, um, <laughs> this is probably the best you're going to see. Uh, there has been one red sorcery destroy target artifact before. Am I correct in that or no? Yeah, you can play that, uh, the one that you can copy for one red. Is that oh, an instant? Shattering Spree, yeah. Shattering Spree. And then there's also the creature for one red, which you can uh, evoke, Ingature. Yep. So cool, that kind of... It like gets around spheres. Yeah, and that really... This thing completes, I guess, the triumvirate of one mana red uh, artifact. Well, I guess, no, I guess you could still have an enchantment, so... Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it looks playable. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think it's playable. There's lots of cards that fill that void. Um... In, in various colors um, of various casting costs. Uh, I, I don't think it's um, an amazing card, and it'll be a cheap card in the client for people that want to pick it up and, and give it a try. Um, you're going to be able to pick up four of these for a couple of cents, I'd imagine. Absolutely. We're not heavily punished in Classic for playing a million colors in our decks, so you'd probably end up just playing a Tropical Island and having a, a Nature's Claim in your deck if you wanted this. For yeah, for one. yeah. I mean, you probably want to keep the nature's claim just for the ability to hit Oath of Druids. Yeah, yeah. And with with mental Mista being so prevalent, you may just end up wanting to go with an ancient grudge anyways over this card. Agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think ancient grudge kind of like obsoletes all these effects just because it's it's so good. And after you use it, or if you mill it, it costs one mana to avoid you know the 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 chalice or whatever it is you're trying to avoid. You know. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, I mean, it could be, yeah, it could be enough to push the cockroach back into contention. <laughs> no. <laughs> of course, Andy's referring to red deck wins. They can blow up as many artifacts as they want. Agree. So uh, next up, Josh picked out uh, Liliana of the Dark Realms, and this is the new black planeswalker. It's um, two colorless, two black. Has three loyalty to begin. And the effects are as follows. For plus one loyalty, you can search your library for a swamp card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, and of course shuffle afterwards. Uh, you can take three loyalty away, and target creature gets plus X, plus X, or minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of swamps you control. That would be a lot cooler if it was more all creatures, but whatever. Um, yeah, be amazing, though. You like Sorry. No worries. Uh, last effect is minus six loyalties, and you get an emblem. Uh, I always love the emblems. With uh, swamps you control have tap, add four black to your mana pool. So Lake of the Dead. That sounds insane, but um, I guess the obvious question would be how do you use it. But anyway, um, seems pretty cool. Uh, I don't really personally think it's going to see any play at all ever in Classic, but... I've, I've been wrong before. I tend to agree. Yeah, I, I, that's cool because we have dual lands, so that's helpful for our fetching out uh, 
swamps, obviously, but it, it seems more relevant almost the fact that it lets you have a shuffle effect every turn when we're playing with with brainstorms and everything like that. Yeah. Well... Yeah, but I'd still rather just have a Jace the Mind Sculptor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'd rather have the ble- the best Planeswalker instead of this... Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the the one thing I will say is um, I actually heard some people talking about this in Standard in the uh, Star City or whatever, and somebody mentioned this card's going to be a lot better uh, very soon in Standard because of mm-hmm. their, you know, expected Rav Duels. Uh, it fetches, what, like four different cards that are paired with Swamp, so... I mean that's that's pretty legit um, fixing and everything else for a mono black deck. I, I I don't know, could be good. Yeah, yeah. I think if we get Ravnica Jewel Lands in uh, in standard, which seems to be what the the buzz in the in, in the in the forums is at the moment, then 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 this would be uh, this would be a great great card for that format. So it might be worth picking up a few just for the investment value and opportunity when it's released. Yeah, and and really. So now we, uh... Sorry, Josh. Oh no no no! It was me. I was gonna say I was gonna. I know Josh was really pumped on this next card. I wanted to hear what his <laughs> thoughts were and hear him go over it. Yeah, definitely. Right, this is my favorite card in that it is Omniscience. It's for the measly cost of triple blue and seven colorless. No big deal. Which I think we can all agree is easily castable in classic. <laughs> It's an enchantment that allows you to play non-land cards from your hand without paying their mana costs. So I just think it's an incredibly powerful effect when we've got things like Show and Tell, or potentially Academy Rector, if you want to go that route. Yeah, yeah. Um, Would you rather run this over something like Dream Halls, which is easily more castable? Absolutely. Do you know what I just no. noticed? Is this thing is non-freaking land cards. You can slam down Jace's and make your draw that much better. That, that's ridiculous. The effect yeah, on this, it, it, it's it's uh, wow. I mean, look how much better it makes Conflux just by itself. Yep, every card you draw, you can just cast. You play Which? something like Future Sight. Yeah, but that's not that's not in your hand. So yeah, agree. But you could always, you know, have Sensei Top and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but uh, you know, you can cast your Emrakuls and get the Time Walk effect off of them. Then so mm-hmm. you yeah. can definitely do some sweet stuff. I'm gonna build a deck with it. There, there's mm-hmm. no question at all that this is probably. The most busted effect like this, that, that oh, at least for me, that I've ever seen. I've never seen anything that just is like, here you go, mana doesn't matter anymore. Dump your hand. <laughs> so how, how are you going to get this into play then? And is putting this into play better than what the mechanism could put into play? For example, mention Shetel. Wouldn't you rather just show and tell an Emrakul? Well, you know what I'm thinking? And, and I might be way off on this, but I, but I, I really believe that this could be a deck. And... It's kind of sad that I don't I don't think we have it in the article. I think I might add it afterwards. But the other card that I'd like to talk and the other synergy with this is the uh, the new guy who gives you Cascade for one blue and a green. And if you were to integrate, you know, a blue-green show-and-tell slash, uh, what is that deck and extended that has the... Um... Oh, the Hypergenesis. Exactly. If you play this in a Hypergenesis build, are you kidding me? 
it just seems to me like it would be ridiculous because all you need is you know this guy out and that gives you two amazing outs and if you notice show and tell costs three mana which is perfect you could play with all the spirit guides you can excel the hell out of this yeah this yeah, at least this seems so powerful that there <laughs> must be a way to get deck I know it'd be interesting to see I truly believe hypergenesis show and tell. I mean, you're looking at, you know, you can protect it with stuff like Force of Will and Misdirection, just like they did in the uh, the Legacy build that was really popular here. You could play cards, obviously, Grizzlebrand and Emrakul would be amazing in this kind of a build. Draw seven and play them all for free, or, you know, get a free time walk and you lose six permanents and 15 life. Uh, yeah, that ends the game quickly. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I, it looks fun. And how out of line is it to say, you know, turn one... Mana Crypt, uh, land, show and tell this, and either Emrakul or, you know, Conflux or whatever else it is in your hand. Yeah, if you've got a Conflux, <laughs> you just cast your entire deck at that point. Yeah, I, I, I don't know, guys. I, I just think it's a bit, bit far-fetched, a bit crazy. But, you know, it's worth seeing what it brings up. I, I, I don't really... think it'll be that expensive to buy. I really believe this card has, like, serious, like, broken potential. Not like, you know, Dream Halls, it's easy to interrupt this deck kind of potential, but, like, really, like, ridiculous potential. I don't know. I mean, like you said, I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards Josh more after I, like, think about it than I was before the cast. It's funny. Well, we'll see very soon. When When's M13 hitting uh, Magic Online, guys? I want to say, like, real close this to the beginning of August. No, it's this week. Is it this week? Release. Yeah, it's not far, is it? It's not far at all. Nice. It's the end of this week, I think, for the pre-release. Sweet. Sweet. All right. Um, so we've uh, we've done our best to find uh, all sorts of cards for this M13 uh, spoiler run-through. Um, and the next up is um, one blue mana, which is uh, instantly castable in, uh, in class and legacy vintage, no doubt about it, for a 1-1 creature. It's flying... Um, but it kind of has a, a pseudo-Delver effect in that it can flip, quote-unquote, into a much bigger flying creature. Um, it gets plus four, plus four, for as long as an opponent has ten or more cards in his or her graveyard. Uh, so I don't know what you think of this, guys, as, a, as another creature to go in that kind of Delver shell. Um, how easy is it to trigger that, that plus four, plus four ability? The, this instantly becomes... If not the best, really close to the best one drop in that illusions deck. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the card could be really good. And if you think about a deck like that, if they're if they're fighting with someone who can't contain them, they're going to win anyway. But if they're fighting with someone who can contain them and is racing them with like creatures and stuff, that Delver deck or the uh, illusions deck is going to be dazing, wastelanding, spell piercing. Those graveyards are going to be filling up pretty quick. And I think this is actually decent utility to use in that deck even if it's sideboard even if you only bring it in for that i think that's the most um suitable home for it but i think it's playable it's 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 basically a one one flying sprite and if you ever get the uh the 10 cards in a graveyard it's obviously a boon but i, I don't think it's an amazing card like delver which we didn't yeah, it recognize seems, it seems kind of like a, a a sideboard card to me. It looks really good right there, but 10 cards is quite a few to have in your graveyard, and uh, and it takes the right think, opponent. Because you can't... I mean, you could build your deck 
to take advantage of this, but you don't really want to be milling people in classic. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the other thing that works against it is there's so many ways to remove your graveyard or your opponent's graveyard. Um, so, yeah, just don't see it working. And unlike a, like a, a, mo- a nimble mongoose, you know, in that deck, you build your deck around being able to, to turn it into a 3-3, but you wouldn't really want to build your deck in order to turn this thing into a 5-5. Five, five. I mean, the only yeah, way yeah. I can see it being viable is if you're running a deck with something like um, Life from the Loam or... Um, God, it's so fringe. I mean, I don't really think of any... Obviously, Oath, but if you're playing Oath, you're playing huge creatures, and you don't want this piece of crap in there. So, no idea. It's, it's an opponent's, it's, it's opponent's graveyard. Oh, That's the problem. Wow, it's not even that good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so, like, against Dredge, it's like win more, because it's not going to stop them from doing what they're doing. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think... I, I, yeah, maybe... I mean, I guess the Illusions deck is the only deck I can even consider it in. Seems good in, uh, in limited. CQ. They were talking about it in, on CQ, and I made fun of this as the next great dredge, hate, and blogger. <laughs> Zombie all day long. <laughs> and oh. then you can, if you're playing Illusions, you can Phantasmal Image it, and you can <laughs> you can really go to town. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you guys. I don't think it's going to see a lot. Um but anyway, uh, continuing that trend, our last card we wanted to look through today is Master of the Pearl Trident. And um, really, this is an updated, slightly better version of Lord of Atlantis. And, you know, it's like one of those cards like... I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I don't know why they wasted a spot on this card. Um, it could be Lord of the Atlantis, and I don't think... Merfolk really needed any more lords. I don't even know if they can run more lords with the number of cards they have. But um, the gist on this guy is he's called Master of the Pearl Trident. He costs two blue mana. He's a 2-2. He's a Merfolk. So far, it's the same as Lord of Atlantis, just a different name. The only difference is uh, this one, other creatures, or other Merfolk creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and have Island Walk. And the key word there is uh, you control. So their guys aren't going to be... He's clearly at least a strict upgrade to to Lord of Atlantis, um, so I think it's he's definitely going to see play in Classic because uh, Merfolk doesn't go away. Calavera, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I think it'll uh, it'll see play, and I guess really what it'll do is enable uh, Merfolk to be a legitimate deck in modern. Oh yeah, they, well no, they have they have Lord of Atlantis, right? It wasn't in Time Spiral. Oh, yeah, of course. It was in Time Sparrow. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's like it was only in 7th edition. You know what's funny, man? I, I, I Side tangent, I started playing a little bit of Modern lately, and the other night, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, why the hell is nobody playing Merfolk? And finally, I like came up against the deck, and it's so funny. Like, I don't want to say it's like totally weak compared to Classic, because it's really just not, but... It seems a lot weaker because it's like they play Aether Vial and like just for some reason I'm just not as scared of it. Like they don't have the dazes and the wastelands and the force of wills to back it up. So when they're tapping out, I mean you really can do whatever the heck you want. You know what I mean? It's really well, funny. The, the creatures yeah. are I mean, has to be. Hard, but the counter magic isn't there. Yeah. No middle misstep. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to keep Brinks. full mana up for Cryptic Command. It's not going to work, is it? No, and really, I don't think they play any... More what I saw was, it was just Lord after Lord after Lord, because they were playing with the uh, Coral Helm Commander. So what they'll do is mm-hmm. they'll just be Lord, 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 and then spend all their mana on Muda Vault or pumping up their commander. I saw very little counter magic. The only non-Merfolk I saw were, like, Ether Vials. Anyway, um, I think that card will see play in all formats where it's legal. And also, might be worth mentioning that the new Ravnica set is supposed to have Merfolk, right? Would imagine so. So, cool. Um, that's pretty much all we got for this week, guys. Is there anything? Oh, Andy wanted to go over some vintage stuff. So you want to you wanna talk us into that real quick? Yeah, I didn't want to spend too much time on it, but I just wanted to kind of touch base on one piece of tech that I saw recently, which I guess could have some kind of um, application to uh, to classic, and that was the um, the Bazaar of Moxon results. So the Bazaar of Moxon is a a huge vintage tournament. It's run annually, and this year there were over three hundred players. Um, the sixth year that it's run, um, the the winning deck was uh, was Dredge. Um, nothing too unusual about that. Um, until you start to look at the build, and um, it's a build that um, directly ports into Classic. I there's no there's no Power Nine in this list. The really interesting aspect and element of it is the fact that it cuts out the the Dread Return package and hopes just to generate enough zombies and enough creatures to get the job done um, without having to to have that Dread Return. Um, I guess the view being that the Dread Return is sometimes a a weak spot in the deck as it's a component that can be easily countered. Um, So this deck just runs... um, the, the Icarids, the Bloodgasts, um, the Grave Trolls, the Narcomoebas, um, some Leyline of the Void main deck, Bridge, bridge from Below, and the, and the Therapies, um, and then just the ubiquitous land package of Bizarre City, um, Field, and Paradise. This looks pretty cool, um, and the fact that it can uh, can be ported into Classic um, got, got me quite, quite excited, even though I'm not a Dredge player. Yeah. It looks legit. I mean, it's, it seems like a good deck, and, and really, Dread Return is one of those cards. Uh, if you talk about what's most likely to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, countered or messed with in general, it's usually the Dread Return package. I mean, if you think about it, if they cast that, you know, somebody will daze it or they're forced to will it. Really, you can't do that with stuff like Bloodgast, Icarid, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I mean, it does give it a more streamlined package, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, he's basically taken out the the Sun Titans, the Fate Stitches, and the Dread Returns, um, and as a result, is able to run four main deck Ingotures, um, which I guess really helps out against uh, against Shop and the likes. And Cages. Yeah, Cages as well. I guess Cages being a big thing. Um, and he's also running uh, four main deck Leyline of the Void as well. Um, so... Yeah, I just I thought it was interesting. It just caught my eye as I was skimming through some of the, the most recent vintage lists looking to uh, identify cards that I might want to pick up. I think having your Dread Return counterspelled is probably less point of taking it as being able to uh, to fit in things like the, the four serum powder to give them consistency and the four ley lines to give them a, a, a more... Resilient. More often a game one win against opposing Dredge, since Dredge has been winning a lot of big tournaments lately. And he's also got more mana than a lot of vintage Dredge, with the four petrified fields. And, and really, Dredge is kind of like the one deck. Um, and it's really the one deck. I mean, that they're going to get to start, and you can't really do anything about at least game one. 
uh, if you think about it, you know, of course, in its heyday, Stax was a total beast. But uh, in classic Stax, you could always counter that first sphere. You could always do something. You know what I mean? You could, not necessarily you did. But with, with Dredge, even if you have a Wasteland or a Strip Mine, they're going to get to do it once. You know what I mean? Well, and even if you, I mean, countering their Dread Return might save you for that turn. They might not have haste, but they've still gotten to put in tokens. 12 tokens or yep. something like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Really, this is one of the few times when we go on here and we talk about Classic and none of us have any idea what the metagame is. If I was going to guess right now, I'd say it'd be Delver or Blue Heavy, but... That's only because that's what it was the last time that I was really paying attention to it. Um, We've not really seen the effect of uh, Graph Digger's Cage and Lingering Souls and uh, all of those good cards from the last two sets, really. And and, and I've been talking a lot about how one thing that I really want to do, I want to play, you know, i got a playset of Geist of St. Treth, and I think, you know, outside of Oath, it just seems so cool for the environment, like... What is Delver going to do against that besides leaving a Delver back to block? And, you know, you, it has a lot of options. I know, like, Affinity can just vomit creatures onto the table, but I, I like the idea of playing Geist with a bunch of counterspell backups. It just seems fun. And it's a card I haven't seen <laughs> does yet. Seem, does seem good. And what's that um, that black card as well? Um, the the big demon dude. I'm forgetting his oh, name. Grizzlebrand. Sorry, guys. Um, the 7-7, seven, seven, draw 7 for 7 life dude. Grizzlebrand. Grizzlebrand. Yeah, I mean, like, we've not really seen whether that can have an impact on the format. I think there's a lot of unexplored territory over the recent months, so it would be good to get some events or uh, some something happening in the format, get some interest back. Definitely. Hopefully this podcast will help to uh, to remind people that the format exists and uh, get them to come out and start playing. Yeah, before we go, I definitely want to say I'm super stoked to have you guys back on the program and, and get this thing going again. I, I'm... Really excited for the uh, the possibility of what we can start. So let's uh, cheers to the future here. Yeah, thanks guys. It's been good, and, uh, and yeah, I'm going to definitely be looking forward to throwing some force of wills next week, and uh, I'll see you guys in seven. Definitely, as always, we'd like to uh, thank our hosts and our sponsor, uh, Pure MTGO and MTGO Traders, uh, respectively. Thank you guys very much, and uh, I'll see you guys both next week. Cheers. Take care. Good. Thanks.